And now it's the Saturday Morning Jukebox Legends Spotlight. John Russell and Rick Hickman here on WLCS. And Billboard Magazine calls our next guest the most successful love singer of the rock era. For a 10-year period, he had more number one records than any other solo male artist. This gentleman has discovered no boundaries in his career, having appeared on the big and small screens, has had his life story published. And these days, he's one of the few stars who is capable of headlining in Vegas, venues all over the world, and even in places like Manistee. We're at the Little River Casino, where he'll be visiting in our neighborhood very soon. We're glad to welcome into the legend spotlight the incomparable Bobby Vinton. Thank you, John. Thank you, Rick. What an intro. Can you do it again? <laughs> we'll be glad to send you a copy I of that, Bobby. No, 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 no. I just want to wake everybody up. That, that, uh, I'm delighted to be talking to you gentlemen on the air. Looking forward to coming up to that beautiful part of the country. And uh, what else can I say? Well, Bobby, you grew up in what's considered where all the friendly people come from, Pennsylvania. And I have to think that the fact that your dad, Stan Vinton, was an accomplished band leader greatly influenced your life. Yeah, I, I was playing in my dad's band when I was 15 years old. We'd play at the Moose Club and at the Elks Club. It was a little band, but uh, we used to think it sounded like Glenn Miller. And uh, as you know, over the years, I had a theater in Branson, Missouri, where I did have the Glenn Miller Orchestra uh, on stage with me. So I, I love the big band sound. We'll be doing a lot of that at the uh, casino next month. Uh, that's how I grew up, the music that I enjoy doing. And actually, while your dad had, was, a, was a band leader, you kind of broke off and were a band leader yourself. And, and uh, I don't know if it was competition or not, but your dad's band is touring and your band is touring over uh, as well. That had to be an interesting situation. Situation, wasn't it? Well, the trouble is, his it, it was called the Stan Vinton Band, and my real name is Stanley. Stan <laughs> I'm Stan Vinton Jr. All of a sudden, I became very popular, and my father came to me. He says, "Wait a minute, they're they're, they're calling for Stan Vinton, but they want you instead of me." <laughs> uh, so I says, "He says you you better change your your name to your middle name, which is Robert." He says, uh, "Why don't you call yourself Bobby?" It was like Bobby Darren, Bobby V, Bobby Rydell. There's all these Bobbies. It's like a great teenage idol name, and and uh, so that's why I went from Stan to Bobby, but can you imagine being a teenage idol with a name like Stanley? <laughs> <laughs> you, you go on, you continue your education. Actually, as you're working with the band, you're raising money so that you can go to college, and, and you go to Duquesne University where you major in uh, musical composition, so, so, so obviously you stay in the musical field, and also while you're there, Bobby, uh, you get a chance to really hone up on, on some of the other instruments and, and wind up playing several more instruments, I guess, right? Yeah, I, I, I have a degree. I could have been a teacher. Um, in, uh, I was practiced teaching it in some of the schools in, in Pittsburgh when I was 19 years old. Uh, I always loved music, and uh, I wanted to share my musical ability with other young people if I could, if I didn't make it in show business. Then what happened was then with my own band, I would accompany all the stars that would come to the Pittsburgh area, like Brenda Lee or Chubby Checker, mm. all the early stars of the early 60s. They would need a band. Today, everything is self-contained. They have, you know, three guitars in a band, and, and that's it. But back in the 60s, when a singer would go on tour, they would need a big band. They used to have saxophones and trumpets and trombones, and I was a musical arranger. I could write music for the big bands so it sounded like their records. So that's what I would do. And then Dick Clark heard about me, this young guy that could write the music for the rock and roll shows, so he made me his band leader. Wow. So I became the band leader for the rock for Dick Clark's rock and roll tours. People like Fabian, I went on tour with him and Brenda Lee and all those early sixty stars. I, I was the band leader. So I got to know the music business. I got to know 
what was number one, what the public liked, and uh, I was making a big band album. I was going to be the teenage Glenn Miller. But what's happening, everybody was so much into rock and roll, the record company was dropping me, and they says, look, big bands are over with. And I says, well, look, cut me as a singer. I, uh, I, uh, I sing a little bit. I've got a song called Mr. Lonely that I wrote. There's uh, another song called Roses Are Red. I bet you I could sell enough records to make more big band albums. I have no idea that they'd be number one records. Lonely, I'm Mr. Lonely. I have nobody for my own. I'm so lonely. I'm Mr. Lonely. Wish I had someone to call on the phone. I'm a soldier, a lonely soldier, away from home, through no wish of my own. That's why I'm lonely. I'm Mr. Lonely I wish that I could go back home Letters Never a letter I get no letters In the Oh, how I wonder How is it I fail I'm a soldier A lonely soldier Away from home Through no wish of my own That's why I'm lonely I'm Mr. Lonely I wish that I could go back home And we'll be right back with more of our conversation with Bobby Vinton right after this on Classic Hits 98.3 WLCS. Thank you for stopping by here on WLCS Classic Hits 98.3 as we continue to enjoy the legend spotlight shining brightly on the incomparable Bobby Vinton. Your persistence to shift gears there was what really kind of saved your career and sent you in another direction. So there was no doubt in your mind, Bobby, that, hey, I can step up in front of the microphone and become a singer, I guess, right? Well, yeah, well, no, I was so much of a musician. If you ever see a true musician, I was into Maynard Ferguson and, and uh, that type of music. I had no idea that I, I could sing and make pop records. In fact, all these years later, it's still hard for me to believe that I had number one records not only here but around the world and various countries around the world. It's just it's hard to believe that. But I was blessed. Believe me, there there is a God. <laughs> I went to church and I prayed, yeah. and, and it, it seemed true for me. You mentioned Roses Are Red, and that is your, your first number one that, that takes off and just does a monster business for you. A long, long time ago On graduation day 
You handed me your book I signed the sway roses are red, my love Violets are blue Sugar is sweet, my love But not as sweet as you We dated through high school And when the big day came I wrote into your book Next to my name Roses are red, my love Violets are blue Sugar is sweet, my love But not as sweet as you Then I went far away And you found someone new I read your letter, dear And I wrote back to you Roses are red, my love Violets are blue Sugar is sweet, my love May God bless you Is that your little girl? She looks a lot like you Someday some boy will write In her book to roses my love but not as sweet as you talk to us about that time and um, maybe even hearing that song on the radio for the first time it was that uh, was that a thrill well actually uh, the the record wasn't accepted initially no, ah. nobody really wanted to play uh, roses or red they said it was old i remember one dish jockey says it's too fast to dance slow to and it's too slow to dance fast to so i was in trouble so in the Pittsburgh area where I'm from, I uh, decided I would send a dozen of roses to every DJ in the Pittsburgh area. So I got into my car. I had dozens of roses with the Roses of Red record inside. I went to the first radio station, and as you call them those days, they used to have the glass windows where you could look in and watch everybody playing the records. And I was standing there with roses for the DJ, and he's looking at me. He thinks I'm in love with him. So I got a little nervous. I said, wait a minute. I got to make another approach. So as I'm standing there smiling at him with roses for you, a beautiful, sexy girl comes walking down with the greatest legs I ever saw. Uh-huh. I stopped her and I said, honey, would you do me a favor and walk in there and hand him these roses? I said, because I'm kind of embarrassed to do that. So I can see her walking in with these great legs. I see her handing the roses. And this DJ is smiling. And believe me, you guys would have been smiling too. Anyway, she played the record and she kind of liked it because she had a chance to talk on the radio. And I thanked her and I said, look, there's a couple more radio stations. Would you be kind enough to do the same thing for me? So I drove around and she walked into the stations and everybody played the record once. And next thing I know in Pittsburgh, it became a a big hit because people played it. (laughs) Now get this, 25 years later, I'm headlining in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand Hotel. 
And I figure I want to do something for this girl because I'm talking about her like I'm talking now. Mm -hmm. I says, I'm going to run a contest with the radio stations in Pittsburgh. This beautiful girl, wherever you are, you're probably married. You probably have a bunch of kids. I want to invite you to Vegas for the week as my guest, oh. MGM Grand Hotel, so forth and so on. So they're on the contest. They can't find her. And I remember the DJ called me. He says, would you really recognize her? And I told him I wouldn't recognize the face, but I would recognize those legs. <laughs> <laughs> that is some awesome marketing, and it just shows what timing can mean in a life. Thank goodness she was there. Thank goodness you had a great idea like that. Timing is a lot. You know, like I said, I've been lucky. I made a lot of right moves. Uh, in fact, with, with the industry, a lot of the guys from that era who know me and see how well I live and, and uh, everything about it, they say, God, you're really smart. Mm. I, and I tell them, look, I'm really not that smart. It's just I'm not stupid. I mean, <laughs> if you see today, so many of these big stars today, they, they kind of do stupid things. I, I just try, try not to do stupid things that you can be around a lot longer. And Bobby, what an amazing career it's been. And we've just scratched the surface. John and I will be right back with more of the Saturday Morning Jukebox and our legend spotlight as we discuss the life and career of Bobby Vinton here on Classic Hits 98.3 WLCS. Classic Hits 98.3. John Russell and Rick Hickman back with you for another segment and our conversation with our special guest this Saturday morning, Mr. Bobby Vinton. And Bobby, you grew up in Pennsylvania. You're deeply involved in music, but really you got to grow up in what is considered one of the real golden eras of this country. Describe what it was like just growing up during that period of time. Well, it was unbelievable. I, I mean, I'm really glad I grew up in the 60s and not today. I, mm. I, I wouldn't want to grow up today. I feel sorry for the young people growing up today. It, it, it's a different world. It's a different time, and maybe they they won't know the difference. But uh, back then, things were simple, you know. Blue velvet, music like that was, was important. People fell in love. People, if you even listen to the singers, they... They were mellow, and uh, there, there was something special about it. Today, everybody seems like they're angry. Mm. Everybody's screaming and hollering like they're, they're, they're angry. They, they lost that sentimentality to the approach of music. It, it was just a good time to grow up. I mean, there, there was less drugs. I think today, drugs influence so much going on. They legalized pot in Colorado. That, that's got to affect young people. I mean, mm. it, it's got to. Let's be reasonable. Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I've been around people who were on pot and people who aren't, and as they grew up, I, I see their lives. The people who weren't on pot have a much better, happier life than the people who were on pot. Maybe those were exceptions, but that's the way I see it, and that's my experience. You know, just times were different, mm. and uh, the music, the movies, religion, government, mm. everything. The world is changing. Yeah, it seems like some of the things that we miss is just common decency, gentleness, an appreciation for one another, and even just politeness. Well, whatever it is, I can't solve those problems. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could. <laughs> right. Uh, but but it is different, and uh, like I said, that's that's me. I'm in the 60s. I grew up then. My I. Uh, uh, those were my years, and of course, <laughs> that's what I, I live by. You also served a stint in the Army. Where were you stationed? I was Fort Knox, Kentucky, ah. Yeah, Fort Fort Dix, New Jersey. I, I really enjoyed the Army. I mean, I was very fortunate there was no wars going on. I didn't have to shoot anybody, but just Army life was good to me. I think they should still have a draft, because when I went in, I was kind of a young, cocky guy like <laughs> most guys are. <laughs> When they get out of school and they know everything, and uh, it, it did a lot for me. It grew me. I grew up, and I found out that 
we are kind of all even. We everybody that you see out there's got something over you. You find out they're scared, they're as nervous as you are. It, it's just a good thing. I think it, it, everyone should go spend some time in the military. Did your our politicians, <laughs> especially like yeah. front of the line? Yeah. <laughs> what uh, did any of your involvement with the army serve as inspiration for any of your later hits? Well, I wrote Mister Lowley when I was in the army. I had a sergeant who would tease me. I would, you know, tell him that I liked music. And I wish I could go into show business. And I, I had a band when I was a kid. And I'm going to get back to my band. And, and he said, you know, you ought to write a song about a lonely soldier. And uh, it was a simple melody, a simple idea at the time. Once again, when I recorded it, I had no idea that uh, it would be up for the Grammys. In fact, what happened was when Roses Are Red was popular, I recorded Roses Are Red and Mr. Lonely the same day. Now uh, we're looking to what record to put out next, and I'm riding in the car, and they play Roses Are Red, and uh, all of a sudden Mr. Lonely comes on by another singer who's Mm. with the label, and they think he's going to be the big star, and I'm going to be a fly-by-night artist. Uh, and I'll never have another one. <laughs> this is my record company that never had a number one record. All of a sudden, they have a number one record, Epic Records. Sure. <laughs> so I call them up. I says, hey, I just heard my music, my track, everything that I wrote. Put another singer's voice on there. What happened? He says, well, let's face it. You're, not, you're a band leader. You're not going to make it as a singer. <laughs> this guy has a great chance. And I said, God, I can't believe. That's when I grew up. Right. And found out what show business was all about. I said, you would do that to me after I just sold millions of records for you guys? Wow. They said, no, nah, you know, you're a band leader, you're not a singer. So anyway, two years later, I'm coming out with an album of uh, of the greatest hits. And you're supposed to have, in those days, 12 cuts. Blue on Blue, Blue Velvet, there I said it again. And we had 11. I said, you know, Mr. Lonely was never a hit for me. It should have been. Now, let me put it into the Greatest Hits album. And sure enough, radio stations started to play it out of the album. And and it it had to be released. And that's how Mr. Lonely came about. Every record has been a fight. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. Everything has been a fight. You know, it's a funny thing. I had a drummer with me who who was with the Bob's Hope tours. If you remember, Bob's Hope used to go like to Vietnam. And, and entertain and bring like movie stars, Miss America, and the big bands, and he put on shows for, for the Christmas. So my drummer used to be with the Les Brown Band and went on these tours. He says he's on a plane flying to Vietnam, and in the back is Raquel Welsh exercising back and forth <laughs> on the floor, back and forth. So he, he walks up to Raquel Welsh. He says to her, why, why are you working so hard and exercising on a floor on a plane going to Vietnam? She stood up with her beautiful body. She looked at him. She said, do you think this just happens? <laughs> good, good answer. <laughs> and I kind of use that as a motto in life because nothing just happens. And Bobby, it's obvious that at least one other song was inspired by your military career and your time in the Army, and that's one of our all-time favorite hits. I'm coming home, I'm coming, I'm coming home. I'm coming home Home I'm coming home Coming home from across the sea Home I'm coming home No more marching and fighting for me
It's our sincere pleasure that you could join us again in the Legend Spotlight here on Classic Hits 98.3 WLCS as we rejoin our conversation with Bobby Vinton. Your hard work pays off. I mean, you're a white hot during that time. And then this group from uh, Liverpool comes over and really changes things. And all of a sudden, a lot of people disappear. I mean, the the Frankie uh, Avalons and people like that, they disappear. Um, Obviously, the the musical landscape changes. But uh, talk to us about that as you being a part of it and and you able to keep right on going during the, the whole craziness of Beatlemania. Well, back in those days, being that I was number one and making a lot of money, and it's just like Elvis had Colonel Parker. I tried to get Colonel Parker to manage me when Elvis was in Vegas. I was with Colonel Parker. Hey, how about me, too? He says, mm-hmm. no, no, I just want to... Because I figured if you were with Colonel Parker, you could even be bigger than you are. Yeah. So now I'm big, and uh, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones come over here, and they want my manager, because financially he was kind of a, very good with the figures, and he knew how to multiply and and make more money out of more money. <laughs> so they came, and if you can imagine, I would go to his office. One day there was Mick Jagger and the Rolling uh. Stones, the next day there were the Beatles. And he handled the three of us. His name was Alan Klein. Uh, Mick Jagger asked me, he says, does this bother you us coming over here and taking all the play from you? And I told him, I said, well, in a way, you've eliminated my competition. Because in those days, a song like There I Said It Again or Blue Velvet, it would sell two million copies, but a million would be to the teenagers and a million would be to the adults. Uh. Uh, I said, you've taken the teenagers away, but I still have the adults, and I can still sell a million records. And But all my other teenage idols who do rock and roll, they're in trouble, so you've eliminated my competition. And, uh, I mean, I was friendly with them, and they were friendly towards me. Uh, and uh, like I said, uh, when the Beatles came to... Uh, America at Shea Stadium the first time I went over there with the Rolling Stones to be with the Beatles and I'll tell you I never saw excitement like that I mean <laughs> I, I did shows but I never saw Shea Stadium full of people screaming and hollering and uh, I mean it, it was exciting times uh, believe me uh, it was just well it was my my generation and sure. uh, it, it was something special something that I don't know well I guess 
today the young people when they go to their shows they enjoy that as much as I enjoyed those days. Now you were married during this time. You got married fairly young. Uh, Dolly is still with you, your your wife uh, since 1962. And I guess the question I want to ask you, Bobby, is it's one thing to be footloose and fancy free on the road, and the Bobby Soxers throwing themselves at you and all that stuff. But here you are, a married man. How do you how do you balance all that and the temptation and stuff like that on the road during that time? Oh. I don't know. There's a lot of temptation. When I read my book, you, when I write my book, you'll read all about it. <laughs> but you're able to stay strong and, and and steady on course, huh? Oh yeah. All right. Fifty years of marriage. There's certainly some proof there. But of course, the management probably didn't want folks to always know that you were married and yeah. thinking that it might hurt record sales. Well, yeah. In in the early '60s, the Frankie Avalons and all the people, you're not supposed to get married because uh, you know the teenager weren't, weren't going to buy your records so nobody really bragged about it that much you just kind of didn't emphasize it uh, hmm. just like uh, you know today it, it probably doesn't matter as much today but back back then it, it, apparently it did matter at least in the eyes of the record companies it was amazing that apparently every teenager thought that they had a chance at marrying a net funicello or ricky nelson or bobby vinton so if we kept that quiet well, I, felt, I felt like that about Ra- raquel wells, yeah. I, felt like wells. Uh, I hope she don't get married because maybe i'll have a chance I love you. there's nothing to hide it's better than burning inside I love you, no use to pretend, there I've said it again, I've said it, what more can I say? said it again. A classic hit by Bobby Vinton, and we'll be back with more of the Legend Spotlight right here on Classic Hits 98.3 WLCS. 
We are always so blessed to have you join us for this Saturday morning jukebox, and especially today as we welcome back into the legend spotlight Mr. Bobby Vinton right here on Classic Hits 98.3. You reinvent yourself, Bobby. Like you said, during the Beatles thing, you, you wind up saying, okay, half my audience is gone, but now I'm going to concentrate on the other half. And you move through the 60s, and music kind of changes, and into the 70s, and you have this uh, this this hit called uh, My Melody of Love, which has become kind of a theme song for you. And and just reinforces everything. You kind of reach into, you said nothing ever easy happens to you. You kind of reach in your own pocketbook and, and again, spend money on promotion to get get that going too, right? Yeah, well, what happened in those years, uh, you know, when you get, when things quiet off in America, you kind of go to other countries. You know? mm-hmm. So I went to uh, South America, I went to Tokyo, I went to Korea, I went to different countries, went to Italy, and I, I had a, a, a good-sized record in, it, in, in Italy. Yo non posso crederti quando dici che mi lascerai. I went to Germany, I, and I had these hits, and in my show, I do a medley of songs that I record in different languages and had a hit with, and my mother, sitting in the audience, is Polish, said, Sinek, poco ti mescheva po polsku. Why don't you sing a song in Polish? I said, come on, mother. <laughs> a rock and roll station would never play. First of all, they don't want to play Bobby Fitton today at all because it's not cool. Second of all, if I come on a Polish song, I could be arrested, man. I don't know what they're going to do to me. She says, how do you know? You never you never wrote one. She says, come on, moja droga, my moja droga. That means my loved one. So I, uh-huh. I start singing, all right, moja droga, ya chekoham. I had no idea, once again, that would have the effect that it did. But it was a phenomenal record. It gave the Polish people pride. I went to Poland. I sang it in Poland while it was still a communist country. I'm looking for a place to go so I can be all alone from thoughts and memories so that when the music plays I don't go back to the days when love was you and me. Yes. 
the communist government called me in. I thought I was never coming home. <laughs> they wanted to know why I was there, what I was trying to do. Wow. The next thing I know, in Chicago, on WGN, we had the Bobby Vinton Polish telephone, where we raised millions of dollars, mm. and we sent it into Poland. I went over there. I was supposed to meet Lech Walesa. Mm. They arrested him that day. Jeez. I mean, if they ever make a movie of my life, <laughs> we got a lot of things to talk about. Oops. It was a special record, and uh, it's hard to say, but uh, at the time, just like our government today, doesn't really want to get involved with other countries and their politics. So back in the 70s, uh, America didn't want to get involved with Poland and the communist government and Russia. Mm. But that song seemed to be a link. All of a sudden, there was a little tie between America and Poland. In fact, when the Pope came in, and he's the real reason why the communist government eventually diminished in in Poland, uh, he had a lot to do with it in the church. I was there. I greeted the Pope when he landed in Warsaw. And I, I never saw an event like that in my life. I mean, there were roses for miles and miles on the roads to greet him, and uh, it was one of the highlights of my life, being there with him and seeing Poland with spirit and pride. It was just, when that when that song happened, I figured all these other records I made didn't mean a thing. What is Roses or Red Meat or Blue Velvet? But this song, yeah. it puts smiles on people's faces. You know, one of the great things about having fame is the opportunity to take part in events like that, things that are life-changing, uh, great memories. And one of the opportunities you had was to appear on the big movie screens, and there was a little-known star that got to appear in a couple of movies along with Bobby Vinton, a guy named John Wayne. <laughs> yeah, I got this movie with John Wayne because I looked like his son. There was a part in the movie where uh, I'm supposed to be his son, and I look like his son, so they saw my album cover, and they picked me into this cover. Now, I want to get in with John Wayne. Being the promoter that I am, I want to get in with John Wayne. So I'm in Mexico. He sees me. He walks by. How you doing? Nice to have you. And keeps on walking. I get a phone call. If you saw the movie Goodfellows, mm -hmm. where I used to sing it to Copa, and I knew certain people in New York who wanted to help me, they called me. They says, hey, we're with John Wayne Jr. here in Yonkers. We found out about him. We're promoting him. We're, we're giving him standing ovations. Uh, we're going to get him record deals. We're going to do all kinds of things. And he said, being that you guys are helping me, I'm going to tell my father to help Bobby Vinton to be in the movies. So when they called me, I said, you don't do that, please. I said, you can't do this with John Wayne. I mean, well, you guys are nuts. <laughs> Yeah, leave it alone. So they called me back the next day. Hey, is he helping you? I said, he's not helping. He's not even talking to me. He walks by. <laughs> I said, he's not helping me. Who's this guy? He says, well, he, the son says I'm talking to my father, and he's, he's going to put Bobby in to make him a star. So finally, by the third day, I see John Wayne. He walks by me again. I said, hey, Duke, by the way, how, how's your son doing in New York? <laughs> he's doing pretty good. He looks at me. He said, What? I said, your son in New York? He says, I have no son in New York who's a singer. I said, you have no son who's a singer in New York? He says, no, I heard about this guy. I'm not pleased, and I don't know how to stop him. I said, well, when I call my friends, I don't think you're going to hear about this guy anymore. <laughs> he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you see, Duke, I kind of wanted to get in with you, you know, and I figure 
if they did this, you would do this for me. Mm. John Wayne, he looked at me, he says, you would put a low-down, dirty trick like that on me to get into the movies? <laughs> and I says, you damn right I would. <laughs> he, says, he says, well, in that case, let's go have a drink. Uh, From that day on, he became my buddy. Oh, uh, man. We'd go to dinner every night. We'd go drinking on the weekends. I mean, mm. he became like a very good friend. I mean, once again... I lucked into something. I mean, I had no idea which way that was going to go, but sure. I figured I, I'd go for it. You appeared in both of those movies, Big Jake and The Train Robbers. How was the movie-making experience for you? Well, I, I, I like being on stage better. On stage, when I perform with my band and my hits and my lights, I can compete in my mind with any performer in the business. Right. When I'm making a movie with John Wayne and all these great actors, I, 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 I'm not at that level. It, it, you know, it takes years. I am on, what I am on stage because of years and years. And uh, movies, it just, uh, it, 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 it wasn't right. But, you know, being on stage, uh, performing live was, was what I wanted to do, what I could do the best. We continue to celebrate the life, the music, and the performer that is Bobby Vinton here in the Legend Spotlight. John and I will be right back here on Classic Hits 98.3. Welcome back. John Russell and Rick Hickman with you for one final time in the Legend Spotlight this morning with our special guest, Mr. Bobby Fenton on Classic Hits 98.3 WLCS. The record business itself, um, we talked with uh, Tommy James about, uh, I think, Roulette Re- uh, Records was a front for the mob and all, all sorts of the shady dealings that went on in the business. And as a businessman, you know, p- people not getting paid. We talked with Leslie Gore, and for years he wasn't able to, to, to collect on royalties and stuff like that. Did you run into, I mean, I, I know you said every song was a struggle, but did you run into the, that whole, you know, No, not no, getting... see, I, I was with CBS, Epic uh. and CBS. They, they were kind of honest. If you were with a big label, mm-hmm. I mean, they cheated too. Everybody cheats <laughs> with the books. <laughs> right. Everybody cheats, man. They they pull something, but they can't do it as much. But when you were with these little labels, like these the, you mentioned, these punks you mentioned, they yeah. were with little labels that they played a lot of games. I was fortunate being with CBS, Sony today. I mean, every time I sell a record, it shows up. In fact, I can go to my computer and dial in and see where I'm selling records today. I mean, just phenomenal. You, you can't cheat. Right. It's a different world today. Oh, you bet it is. Uh, uh, talk about uh, today, bringing us up to today. Obviously, you're going to be in the Little River Casino here in the, in the, the next uh, little bit. Um, the, the, the high energy, we always talk about your shows. You know, Even though you've been at this thing forever, uh, you, still, uh, you still put on a pretty high energy show. How do you... I I guess, how do you keep going, Bobby? Well, I don't do that many, to tell you the truth. I uh, maybe do two or three shows a month, uh-huh. and I save all my bullets for those shows. <laughs> okay, that's true. Yeah, if I had to go every day like I did at my theater in Branson, you know, I had a theater in Branson sure. for 10 years that I went twice a day for nine months. I mean, in fact, there were it was so busy in Branson during certain seasons, I would do three shows a day, mm. seven days a week. Oof. And after that, I said, hey, uh, uh, i got to start doing some living. So I do very little shows these days, and the ones that I do do, I look forward to. I don't call it work. I call it play. So many singers from my generation, I hear them sing it, and a lot of them don't sound like they're used to because... You can over you can overdo it and you know lose your voice and I I think I sound better today than I did 20 years ago because health is everything guys drink water think <laughs> health she wore blue velvet 
bluer than velvet was the night Softer than satin was the light From the stars She wore blue velvet Bluer than velvet were her eyes Warmer than May her tender sighs Love was ours Ours love I held tightly Feeling the rapture was the blow of blue velvet but in my heart they'll always be precious and warm a memory through the years and I still can see and warm a memory through the years and I still can see blue velvet through my tears What I'd like to ask too, obviously you've had a successful marriage of over five decades, and I've got to think that friendships have been very solid with you, too. Going back even to your earliest years, who are some of the names we would recognize that have been people that you've been very fond of? Well, Tony Orlando's a good friend of mine. We were we started out, uh, you know, in fact, uh, he was 17 when I, I had the band and used to back him up on the Dick Clark shows. Connie Francis, I knew well. Uh, there's, you know, Frankie Valley is a good friend of mine. I'm so delighted for his success. I mean, mm. you talk about strike him just when you don't think anything's going to happen right uh so so but but most of the pe- most of the people uh it's hard to be friends with your singer I, I don't know why it's like it's like you guys trying to be friendly with your competition on the other uh, radio you okay. know i mean you're friendly but you, you just hope you do better makes right. sense and right. if you do and if you're doing better they kind of look at you one way, and if they're doing better, you look at them one way. So it's it's not that easy to be that close with your competition. All right. The best-selling autobiography is The Polish Prince. He's been awarded over a dozen gold records and albums during his career and sold over 75 million records, been honored by over 100 national organizations and more than a dozen mayors across our country for his unique contributions to ethnic communities 
and he is one of the few that have earned a bronze star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and it has certainly been our honor and privilege to welcome into the legend spotlight, Mr. Bobby Venton. Thank you. guys. Nice talking to you. I enjoyed it probably better than you. And he is coming to the Little River Casino next Saturday. Tickets available at lrcr.com, and he does put on an amazing show. He plays so many instruments, has performed in so many different languages. Little River Casino this coming Saturday. And John, we've certainly enjoyed our conversation with Bobby Vinton. And we look forward to the next time that we get to share the legend spotlight with you here on Classic Hits 98.3 WLCS. By two lovers pass And as they're passing by I could die Cause you're not here with me Now the trees are bare There's sadness in the air And I'm as blue as I can be Blue on blue Heartache on heartache You wait with open arms Open arms that now are closed to me Through a veil of tears your vision disappears And I'm as blue as I can be Blue on blue, heartache on heartache Heartache on heartache And I find that